Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Steve Schaefer, the Houston Chronicle, along with our Astros beat writer, Chandler Rome, who is getting ready for a uh, three-game series at the Astros start in Seattle on Friday night. Chandler, as we're talking, it's the rare day off, at least so far this season, for the Astros. They've just completed a stretch of 33 games in 34 days and acquitted themselves pretty well. I'd say 23 and 10 playing like that. They're in first place still in the American League West. And now that we're approaching Memorial Day weekend, we're kind of past the small sample size phrasing we often like to use. They've now played 45 games. And I'll put you in, uh, since you see every game, uh, I'll put you in the, the guise of a scout. Uh, through this stretch, what has impressed you most, we'll start that way, about this year's Astros team? Well, I, I don't think you can single out one part of the pitching staff, but I think the entire pitching staff has really been impressive. And I knew coming in, and I think everyone knew coming into the season, that they were going to have a, a good staff. I, I did not view it as an elite staff. Even when they added re-signed Justin Verlander, um, I didn't view it as an elite crew. But, I mean, they, they are entered this off day with a 2.81 ERA. They are the only American League team with an ERA below three. Only the Dodgers have a lower ERA than them in baseball. And they're doing it in a little bit of a different way. I mean, they're not striking a bunch of guys out. They're not um, – this isn't a big swing and miss staff. This isn't a big strikeout staff. This isn't – they don't do one thing exceptionally well. They just get out. And, I mean, that, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And maybe it's because – They've got so many different looks uh, in the in the rotation. You know, Fromber Valdez is, you know, not going to strike a ton of guys out, but he's going to get a bunch of ground balls. He's not going to give up any home runs. You know, Jose Ramirez is uh, at bat notwithstanding. He's not going to give up a ton of home runs. Um, Justin Verlander, he's getting his swing and miss stuff back, and that may lead to some more strikeouts. But, you know, a guy like Luis Garcia, you know, when the cutter's working, he'll get swing and miss, but he gets some weak contact and doesn't allow a ton of damage. This is just a staff that has absorbed, you know, two pretty massive blows. One with Lance McCullers Jr. Uh, still has not pitched this season, is not uh, throwing fully off of a mound yet. It doesn't seem like he'd be back at any point in the foreseeable future. And they suffered the loss of Jake Odorizzi at Fenway Park a couple of weeks ago when he um, avoided the worst case scenario by just severely spraining his ankle. But that certainly looked like it could have been a season-ending Achilles injury, but the Astros avoided it. Uh, Odorizzi remains on the IL, but th- this team has not missed a beat. Uh, Christian Javier, who is uh, who entered this season as the seventh starter before those two guys got hurt, he's probably one of their best five pitchers, period. He probably deserves a spot in this rotation. And heck, he'd probably be in about three-fourths of the other rotations around the league. But this one is pitching well enough that they don't need uh, that they don't need a ton of assistance. They don't need a ton of help. And then you go over to the bullpen, and that was a place last year where um, that was their clear weakness, right? That that was they they did if there was one part of that team, even after the trade deadline, uh, the bullpen really, really was a weakness. It has now formed into a strength of this team. Uh, the Astros certainly have – they have four relievers that have really cemented themselves as leverage guys, and that's, that's closer Ryan Presley, Ryan Stanek, Hector Neris, and Rafael Montero, whose emergence has been a godsend to this to this bullpen. And I think, you know, if, if you'll remember last year, right, at this point last year, 
everyone was sort of scratching their heads. Like, how do you fix the Astros bullpen? They had, they had Stanek, Presley, and on a good day, Brooks Raley were the only two and a half relievers that they trusted last year. Um, where they aired a little bit last year was they relied upon uh, rookies that had debuted in 2020. To they, they relied upon them to kind of repeat their debut year in 2021. There was so much variance, though, because in 2020, obviously, there was no crowds. Uh, it was a 60-game season, small sample size. And a lot of those guys just kind of wilted under the pressure. I'm thinking of Anoli Paredes. I'm thinking of Andre Scrub. I'm thinking of you know guys like that, just young guys that had not been tested in this league. And so you have to credit James Click. He went out and he signed Hector Neris this offseason. Um, getting Rafael Montero in that trade from Seattle last year that included Kendall Graveman certainly looks like a steal given how Montero has pitched. And those two guys combined with Presley and Stanek, it is a much more veteran core of this bullpen to where if one of those guys is struggling, well, you've got three veterans uh, behind them. And even Phil Maton, who has a, a, a good bit of service time himself, you know, there, there are enough veterans here to, to compensate for if a guy is throwing poorly or, or something like that. Heck, even look at Phil Maton, who has not had the start to his season that I think a lot of people envisioned. Uh, they've been able to compensate for that with, with these four guys. They entered uh, this off day with the lowest bullpen ERA in baseball, and I think if I would have told you that before the season, I don't think anyone would have. Uh, I don't think anyone would have guessed that. But you know, this has been a club that has been carried by its pitching staff early on, and you know, we we mentioned it on an earlier podcast. I think we may get to it uh, later on here. Maybe this is just the team the Astros are. Maybe they are going to be a pitching dominant team this year. Maybe for the first time uh, in this five or six year renaissance. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting when you look at the bullpen, and we've talked about this even last year coming off the pandemic season, where are you going to get the innings from? Now they're back to a five-man rotation ostensibly with Jake Odorizzi hurt, but boy, when you've got four weapons like out of the bullpen, now the, all four of those guys can't pitch every game, but that depth really allows you to preserve your starters in terms of their innings counts. Well, and it's interesting to look, too. There's only been five teams in baseball that have gotten fewer innings out of their bullpen than the Astros. So they're really not using their bullpen a bunch. After, you know, you got to remember they were in a six man rotation for a while, and that allowed the bullpen maybe a little bit of rest and got the starters a little bit deeper in the game. But as you've seen the starters get deeper, um, what's really helped, quite frankly, is that the bullpen has, has not been taxed because they've come in and done the job. They haven't extended games, um, they haven't played a ton of extra inning games. Um, there really hasn't. I can only think off the top of my head on of one real blow up start by a by a starter this year, and that was Jake Odorizzi only getting two outs against the Angels early in the season. Christian Javier had a short start in Washington, where he only th- where I believe he only went three and two thirds innings. But you know, this has been a starting rotation for the Astros. It's actually pitched pretty deep into games. Only the San Diego Padres have gotten more innings out of their starting rotation than the Astros. So it's worked out well that the starters are pitching well enough and they're getting deep in the games. They're not having to expose the bullpen as much. And when they are exposing the bullpen, the bullpen's acquitted itself pretty well. 
Yeah, and you kind of read my mind one thing I was thinking when you talk about Montero. I think back to that trade for Kendall Graveman last year, and we thought, oh, what a what a great piece to add. And Graveman was effective for the Astros, but we knew he was going to be a free agent. And Montero just seemed like a throw-in, and he had kind of a high ERA at the time, and he wasn't able to pitch last year. And now you look like, well, this was the main guy in the trade, as it turns out, because uh, he's just been so good. Okay, I'll pose the question the other way. You're an opposing scout. You've seen the game, uh, the Astros play 45 games. What at this point is the most exploitable area on this team? I hesitate to use the word exploitable because this they could explode at any minute, but this offense is really not taking the form that we thought it would. Um, when you look at their overall numbers, they have a 111 team OPS plus and a 100 OPS plus is league average. So they are 11 points above league average. They are They are, by every statistic, an above average offense except for two statistics. They have a 232 team batting average. Uh, the league batting the league average batting average is 237. so they're five points below the league batting average. And where I think what has surprised me the most is that this team is not scoring runs. They're scoring 4.22 runs per game. Major League average is 4.20. So they are <clears throat> just above that, like a smidgen above average this year. This is the same lineup that led baseball last year with 5.33 runs per game. Now, obviously, you took out Carlos Correa. He went to the Twins. But you replaced him with Jeremy Pena, who is playing at an elite level. He leads the team and and wins above replacement, according to baseball reference. So as of this point, you have swapped out. You've gotten better production out of that than what you swapped in. But um, I, I think... Yuli Gurriel's struggles are becoming harder and harder to ignore. And I don't want this to be a, this is Yuli Gurriel's fault that the Astros aren't scoring runs, but he hits fifth or sixth in Dusty Baker's batting order every night. And that spot in the lineup is inherently going to take a lot of at-bats with runners on base. Yuli Gurriel is 12 for 66 this season with runners on base. He hit 396 and 238 plate appearances last year with runners on base. It is just one snapshot of a, a decline that I don't think I, I don't think was unforeseen. Obviously, Yuli Gurriel's 37 years old. Aging comes for everyone. You didn't think he was going to be a repeat batting champion this year. I didn't think he'd have a 224 batting average by Memorial Day. The decline has been pretty precipitous. Um, the Astros really don't have a, an option to replace him with. Not that they would. I, I don't think this is a situation where they're trying to replace him this season. I mean, they, they don't have any options. And Yuli Gurriel is still an elite defender at first base. Won a Gold Glove last year. He brings that to their to the table. Um, but when he's hitting where he's hitting in the batting order, it may behoove Dusty Baker to kind of start thinking maybe to put him down, maybe move Jeremy Pena up, a guy that has shown himself through two months that he is able to handle major league pitching, that he's making more contact than I think a lot of people thought he would. Um, maybe it's time to do that, to, to salvage some runs, to salvage some run scoring. Uh, but then if you do that, your seven, eight, and nine in the batting order would ostensibly be Yuli Gurriel, whoever is playing in center field, whether it's Chaz McCormick or Jose Siri. And the catcher, Martin Maldonado, or, Lemis, or, uh, or Jason Casher, excuse me, more than likely Martin Maldonado. Martin Maldonado has a 29 OPS plus. League average is 100. 
He's been nothing short of awful offensively, but they don't pay him. They don't pay him to hit. They pay him to be a good defender. They pay him to handle the pitching staff and also be kind of a clubhouse leader. Um, the center field debate becomes a little more interesting when you frame it this way. You know, both McCormick and Siri are above average OPS plus guys. Um, Siri has solved some of his chasing issues. He's not chasing outside the strike zone as much. Uh, he's not swinging and missing as much. Uh, the speed is obviously something he has that that Chaz McCormick doesn't. Chaz McCormick's probably the more reliable player, probably the guy that you you can't you have a little more faith in when he's out there. You know he's not going to do anything wild and crazy. But Dusty Baker seems to like wild and crazy. He seems to like Jose Siri a lot more than Chaz McCormick. So um, if you're gonna if you're gonna do the batting order, if you're gonna if you're gonna finagle with it, you've got to figure out a way to not have three automatic outs in a row. And I'm not saying one of the center fielders is an automatic out. I mean, on any day, somebody can be good. But, you know, when you put Guriel, the center fielder, and the catcher, um, the way they're hitting right now, they have been your three most least productive hitters. So you, I don't know if you want to go that route where you have them all in a row. But um, it, this is all to say that the Ashers have to they have to score more runs. Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't think it's a glaring issue right now, and I think it's something that they certainly could, you know, it, it takes Yuli Gurriel turning it around, or it takes one of the center fielders running with the job. Maybe it takes Jake Myers coming back and running with the job and, and you know, being a, a consistent offensive force. But, you know, this is a team that is not producing runs at the level that we're accustomed to seeing them. And, you know, even it, 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 you, it want, you have to wonder how sustainable it is. In this 33 games in 34 days, you saw a lot of the pitching staff having no margin for error, and they really succeeded in that. I wonder how sustainable that is going forward when you're putting you know, these, this bullpen that we talk so much about and the starting rotation that we talk so much about. You know, They have been in a lot of games during this stretch where one mistake could cost them the game because the offense is either not coming through with runners in scoring position or just not delivering in general. So I think to become a, a more well-rounded team, this team is going to have to start hitting more in the clutch. They're going to have to start scoring more runs, and they're going to have to start offering this pitching staff a little more cushion to work with. You know, at center field, and uh, we'll be watching to see when Jake Myers is able to compete at, at Sugar Land. But if we were really to look ahead this season, I, I don't think it's a stretch to think the Astros will make the postseason. Hey, they may have a race in the West with the Angels. I wouldn't say that that's one, but you figure they'll at least be a wild card team and certainly are the favorite in the division. But at what point do they look to Sugarland, and depending on how Pedro Leon is doing, do they say this guy might be our best answer there? Well, Dusty Baker said in spring training he thought that Pedro Leon was one of the best they had in camp, and he's only gone to Sugarland and in his first 180 plate appearances has a 507 slugging percentage and an 873 OPS. Um, the Astros are not playing him at in the infield hardly ever anymore, and that is probably a signal that they want him up at some point this year if they're not trying to expose him to shortstop if they're that they've ended that experiment for the time being that would signal to me that they want him up here at some point this year now that's always kind of the eternal question right when is the right time to promote the guy um, he's only played 111 games stateside um, last year was a profound struggle for him he turned it on at the end but Last year, he really struggled, like really struggled to adjust to breaking pitches, swung and missed too much, adjust uh, the, the adjustment entirely from going from, you know, 
overseas to here uh, was a difficult one for him. And it's one that a lot of Cuban defects, and a lot of just Latin American guys have every time they reach the States. It's, it's a different type of baseball. It's a different type of grind. Um, and Pedro Leon had that last year. So um, is right now, I don't think it's a, it's a big enough sample size to say call him up. Uh, I think he will be up at some point this year, especially if he keeps producing like this. Um, like we said, they're not short on options because it's not like Chaz McCormick and Jose Siri have performed so poorly that they need to call anybody up. And they're going to wait till Jake Myers gets up here to, and see kind of how he does and how he adjusts in his first 100, 150 at-bats back. And then then they may have a decision. So we're talking like maybe July, August. That's when this decision comes in. And then you start talking about the trade deadline. Like, I don't know who's going to be available at the trade deadline. Like, it's pretty apparent, though, the one way that this team right now on May 26th, the one way this team could upgrade is probably adding another bat. Um, I don't know what center fielders would be available at the deadline. If there's a corner infield, if there's a corner outfielder available at the deadline, do you get him and shift Kyle Tucker to center and then have Chaz McCormick, Jose Siri, or Jake Myers on your bench as the fourth guy? Um, I, I'm not sure. I, that's all stuff that they'd have to figure out in two months. We have two months to speculate on all this, and who knows what could happen between then and now. But as we talk on May 26th, certainly the, the way to improve this team and the way to upgrade is certainly another outfield bat. And, you know, there is one in Sugarland, and Pedro Leone is there. I don't think he's eminently being called up, but I, I think he's certainly going to assert himself as an option. And if he doesn't, then I think – they need to look outside, and I think there are some some places available that can upgrade this team. Looking at the uh, schedule, you know, we talked about the thirty three games in thirty four days. Now they've got some deals where they're they're off on four consecutive Thursdays. But when I look at the next eighteen games, I see Seattle, Oakland, Kansas City, Seattle at home, Miami at home, and then Texas. Seems like this uh, this stretch. I guess every stretch is important, but this is a stretch where the Astros can really make some hay. Well, I mean, you could have said that about this last stretch, too, where they played the Nationals for three. They played the Tigers four times. They played the Rangers. Um, you know, th th this past stretch was not difficult for them either. They did go into Boston and it seemed that they awoke a sleeping giant when they went in there. The, the, the Red Sox took two of three from them, and they've really played really well since. But, um, yeah, this is, a, this is a stretch where a good team needs to do what a good team does, and that's beat bad teams. Because as you look further down, maybe after this, you start to see that big New York trip coming up. There's a big New York trip at the end of June, and there's a stretch there uh, in June where they play, I believe it's 11, I don't have the schedule in front of me right now, I believe it's 11 games straight against either the Mets or the Yankees. And that feels like a gauntlet. That feels like that, I, I don't know if that's going to define the season, but I think after that stretch, we'll know, is this team legit? Are they like a World Series, bona fide World Series contender? Or is this, or is the offense going to need to score more runs? Or is the pitching staff elite? I think that kind of 10 or 11 game stretch where they play nothing but the New York teams, I think those will really tell us more than anything uh, these next few weeks will. Yeah, I'm looking at the schedule. It's actually nine straight. They've got two at the Mets, then they go uh, play four at, New, uh, at the Yankee Stadium, two on the road against the Mets, and they've got one of those makeup games against the Yankees uh, immediately thereafter. So it is nine straight. That will be an interesting stretch, and that's surrounded by games with the White Sox and Angels, so maybe they better make some hay while they can. One thing I'll touch on as we look at the Seattle series, um, a couple of pretty good rookies in this. We've talked about Jeremy Pena. Julio Rodriguez is 
kind of come on after a very slow start. His numbers are good, stolen a lot of bases. He's got a little pop. At this point in the season, maybe it's a little early, how do you handicap the American League Rookie of the Year race? I think it's Jeremy Pena's to lose right now. Every time, like you mentioned Julio Rodriguez and how profoundly he struggled in his first month or so, and, he, and he's gotten off to, and he's much better now. He's up to a 117 OPS plus, um, really can play a great center field, uh, good player. Struggled mightily in his first month and a half. I think that, like, when you see that, when you see how badly Spencer Chorkelson struggled in Detroit for the first month, Bobby Witt Jr. in Kansas City didn't have a great month, month, month and a half either. Adley Rutschman, it's been 20 at bats, but Adley Rutschman's only, I think, five for his first 20. Should make you appreciate what Jeremy Pena is doing, and not just Jeremy Pena. Should make you appreciate, you know, when Jordan Alvarez came up, how there was zero. Like, he came up and immediately hit. You know, Kyle Tucker and Alex Bregman had a little bit of growing pains early in their careers, but after about a month, they solved it. But it should really kind of tell Astros fans how hard doing what Jeremy Pena is doing is, how hard it is to do that. And, you know, right now, he's got Rookie of the Year pretty much on lock. You know, you look position player-wise, I think Adley Rutschman, given the position he plays, being a catcher, and being the guy that's going to control everything, you know, I think if he hits the way that the Orioles think he can hit, I think he'll be a, a strong contender for AL Rookie of the Year. I mean, Spencer Torkelson, another first overall pick, he seems to be finding it a little bit in Detroit. Um, you know, this is a big stacked rookie class. And, you know, I haven't even mentioned Joe Ryan, the the, the Minnesota Twins starter, Johan Duran, the guy out of the bullpen that we talked about a couple podcasts ago that throws 102. Um, there's a lot of good rookies, but none have, none have been better than Jeremy Pena so far. So um, a lot of people were, un, were a little um, unnerved by the fact that he sat out the series finale against the Guardians on Wednesday. And I, I think it, it illustrated a storyline that is not only going to affect the American League Rookie of the Year race, but it's going to affect the Astros' uh, overall season. You know, Pena's never really played a lot of baseball. Uh, in the prof- in, prof- in professional baseball, um, he missed most of last minor league season with his wrist injury. Played just 38 games. No minor leaguer played games in 2020. Um, his last full professional season was 2019, and he only played 109 games. He, he just hasn't played a ton, and his endurance and how he holds up. You know, when when the Astros hit late July, early August, and they're in the dog days, and how does Pena hold up? Because he's been really, really good. He's been great the first two months of the season, and I don't want to, I don't want to say that this is going to happen to him. But you know, you look at a guy like Adolis Garcia last year with the Rangers, who had an unbelievable first two months, just destroyed the Astros for the first two months, went into the All Star break, and was the unanimous American League Rookie of the Year. And then second half just fell apart. Uh, I don't know if it was overuse. I don't know if it was endurance. I don't know if it was just he couldn't make the adjustments, but we've seen it happen before where these rookies get off to, to great starts. And then it's either the, the grind of the season catches up with them or they, you know, they, they can't make the adjustment back when the league adjusts to them. So it'll be really interesting to see. It's why, you know, with Jeremy Pena, every day, he, every good day he stacks on top of one another is a good sign, but you may want to pump the brakes and just, you know, let it play out. Let, let's let's talk again in July and August and see how he's doing. But you can't complain anything right now if 
if it ended today and the BBWA was voting for American League Rookie of the Year, Jeremy Pena would get every vote. He would be the unanimous winner. One thing about Pena that strikes me and uh, is his bearing and just the way he carries himself. Now, you're around him on a daily basis. Is that my imagination or am I observing something correctly? He does. He There's a little more personality coming out of him. Um, you know, I think early on, he, look, he is a very stoic guy. Um, it helps. I think that he was a college draftee. He, he didn't come out of high school. Um, he is an older rookie. He's, I think he's 24. I don't have the age right in front of me. I think he's 24. So he's an older rookie. Um, you know, he, he's his dad played baseball. His dad was a big leaguer. But I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, Jeremy, I believe, was born in 97. And his dad, Geronimo, retired in 96. So it's not like he went, he was around the clubhouse a bunch and like, I mean, but still having the bloodlines and having a dad that was in big league clubhouses for so long, he, he's learned how to carry himself. Um, but I do think you can sense him getting a little more comfortable. You're, you're seeing a little more emotion come out of him. You're seeing a little more personality and maybe just, you know, my vantage point, you know, talking to him, just kind of chit chatting and stuff. You're, you're hearing more jokes being told. You're just, he, he looks more comfortable and never, I don't ever think he looked uncomfortable. I just think, you know, baseball is a very hierarchical game. It's a game where you have to earn your place, where you have to, you know, you can't show emotion unless you have this much service time. And a lot of that's archaic, but you know, it is, it, it's something that Jeremy Pena took to heart and he wanted to cement his place and he wanted to have his place maybe before he became into his own. And you can certainly tell that, there's more personality coming out of him, but he knows his place on this roster. He knows how important he is, how important his production is, but he also knows that there are guys in this clubhouse that are there to lead the team, and he's going to defer to them. we got to figure we'll see him in the lineup Friday night after, as you mentioned, he was off on Wednesday. Astros starting a three-game series at Seattle Friday night. Justin Verlander on the mound. We didn't really touch on him much. We could talk about him every podcast. I mean, the guy just continues to astound as he's coming back from Tommy John surgery, 6-1 and one in ERA, I believe, at one two two going into that opening game of the series. And uh, Chandler will be there in Seattle, so we remind you that you can keep up with Astros coverage with Chandler in the pages of the Chronicle and at HoustonChronicle.com, and certainly on Twitter, Chandler underscore Rome. Thanks for being with us on this edition of the Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Steve Schaefer, and we'll talk to you again soon.